This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Thank you all for being here in this very unusual circumstance, the first Zoom Snark Monkey episode of the pandemic. Welcome, everyone. Hello. 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 Um, this Virtual is, greetings. This is going to sound terrible, but we're going to try and pull it off anyway. Uh, I am joined. I am Larry Morgan, by the way, uh, head snarker, and I am joined by a revolving cast of fellow snarkers that include today uh, the one and only Mikey Ambers. Hello, Mikey. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whenever you're listening. And uh, Mikey, uh, currently involved in the industry in apparently something he doesn't want to talk about. It's a covert industry, apparently, that has to do with entertainment that he doesn't want to make public for some reason. Uh, you know, there, I just need to uh, maintain a little... I've signed a, an, a, a metric fuck ton of non-disclosure. <laughs> uh, oh, by, this, by the way, in your chat, you'll find a form that I need you guys to sign off on before we continue. Uh, oh, it's come to that, has it? Uh, also, uh, entertainment mogul, as well as now, fledgling, but really with a few things under his belt, writer and producer... Mr. Mark S. Allen, directly from Northern California, everybody. Bravo. Hey, thanks for having me on the show, Snarkers. Love you, love your show. Me listen long time. Uh, we also have uh, writer, producer, showrunner, and uh, apparently a fledgling acapella one-person group uh, who has been showing off on social media his incredible pipes, and I don't mean that in uh, a Jeffrey Tubin kind of way. <laughs> um, Trey Calloway is with us, everybody. Uh, thank you for having me. I'm glad you appreciate my sanity preservation system. You have the voice of an angel, Trey. Who knew? Uh, well, who knew, indeed. As well, joining us, uh, uh, who has been uh, with us many times, who has apparently been developing his beard growing uh, yeah, ability thanks. over the yeah. pandemic. Chris, the McGann McGann is back on the hey, Snark hey, Monkey. Um, if you think my beard's impressive, let me just flip my head hair down so you can see that. <laughs> oh, good. Oh, wow. All right. I'm filled with envy. Well, after watching Borat 2, I was afraid of what other hair you were going to yeah. brag about there for a second. <laughs> 
Um, it looks like you just invented something. I feel like I just invented something. <laughs> yeah, you went from cool hipster to maniacal, <laughs> you know, mad genius in some sort of techie uh, espionage movie. I yeah, like I it. I had a question off the bat. Are you practicing social distancing while rehearsing for Charles Manson, the musical? <laughs> you know, it's it's been tough because I really like to get in close to kill people. But, but like... <laughs> With it's the a right amount of hand sanitizer. You're good. Yeah. <laughs> I put it on my tongue before I practice exactly. cannibalism. It works. You know, I was excited about that musical until I heard it was a, a jukebox musical. They just borrowed songs. So we are family. Oh. <laughs> stab, stab, stab. Oh. All right. We're off to a great start. So the reason we're all here today is that there just happens to be a time right now where finally the industry has decided well, there's nothing we can do with all this glut of product that we've had sitting around waiting except put it out there in some form or fashion so that we can have some kind of revenue coming in because, frankly, it has been a, a little bit of a dearth of huge releases. We haven't had the opportunity to get together and talk Marvel or superhero, really. Uh, the the handful of geeky movies that are available have yet to come out with a couple of exceptions, but this particular week felt like it was a good reason to get together just because there are a couple of major releases that went on streaming platforms. Uh, we also all have probably had our opportunity to binge certain things, and I did ask for each of us to kind of pick a particular film in particular that was being released or is out there or that was top of mind for you that you have uh, enjoyed and or at least experienced. And, uh, Mark, I want to go to you first because you have been in the unique position. Well, for one, I should be in full disclosure. Mark S. Allen might disappear any second now because he is literally in the middle of doing uh, junkets for a couple of different <laughs> movies. So any second now, he might have to blow us off for Anne Hathaway or Robert Zemeckis or somebody. Yeah. So Bigger name Octavia on the other Spencer. line. Oh, okay. Oh, Octavia wow. Spencer. Oh, there you go. You talking witches? <laughs> Yes. 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 And I assume you've had a chance to see that. I have. Uh, and it's delightful. A little edgy, a little scary for the kids, but, but really a great adaptation for the movie. Uh, and I was trying to see if I was one of the only people who thought, if not an instant classic, it's definitely something joyful to watch with the, the youngsters during this time. And the only thing I could write, the only negative thing I could find were people saying, I can't believe that they're continuing an adaptation of such an anti-Semitic book. Well, I, I don't know if you should dig that deep into the source material for this movie because it's just a great little romp. It has nothing to do with the, the little to do with the original Road Dull source. That'd be like saying, yeah, kids, don't go see Willy Wonka or for that matter, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory because the source material had cannibalism in it. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, uh, uh, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory is a, a dark freaking movie. I rewatched it because Trey and I talked about that as being kind of a go-to binge movie for him and i didn't realize how traumatic and scary that thing can be it's it's all kinds of effed up no absolutely but that you could say the same thing of virtually everything roll doll ever put pen to paper on i mean it, it just always toes that line right? between whimsical and terrifying but and on that note if you think charlie and the chocolate factory or for that matter previously willy wonka was dark Go to the source material because those yeah. Oompa Loompas, yeah. do you know what their favorite source of protein was? <laughs> Children. Kids that like candy. Yeah. Yeah. 
it's, the, it's the Wagyu beef of, uh, of cannibalism. <laughs> so tender. Uh, My kid's probably a little gamey. Yeah, yeah. Mark, the, the one that I was most curious about, because you have been in the unique position to get to see some of these uh, major releases that have only gone to theaters. There aren't that many of them, one of them being Tenet, because... Uh, Christopher Nolan's that kind of guy. Um, only 35 millimeter, only in theaters. Uh, whatever, dude. But did you actually drive to Nevada to see, or Nevada to see Tenet in a theater? Nevada. Nevada. Which is it, by the way? I never say the state name because I'm so terrified for, you know, what would happen if I say it to the wrong person. Yeah. Well, just say the city. Did you actually go there? I went to Reno. There we the go. The little city in the world. Wow. Just so you could go into a theater to see Tenet. Yeah, that was one of the states to first open up, perhaps never care. Um, so I, I did, as safely as possible, make the big drive from California to Nevada, Nevada, Reno to see the movie. Got to see it 70 millimeter film, which is the way if you can find it in a safe, socially uh, distanced way, go see it that way. And the film is glorious. It was the first film I had seen in a theater in five months. I wept openly, you know, before the even IMAX logo came on the screen. And uh, it's glorious. I have since seen it five times. I still don't know what the hell's going on with the movie. I, I want to get the movie and I want to flip it and play it in reverse to see if maybe it makes sense that way. I don't know. Uh, but I will say it is epic. It's glorious. It's one of the movies, the reason why big screens will never go away. It has. If you don't understand what's going on with it, and you will understand very little for a couple of reasons I'm about to get into, at least at the end of the day, you will have seen some of the most cinematic art that's out there right now. Nobody does it like this. Um, it's just, it's breathtaking in every way. So go see it on a big screen when you feel safe to do it. Now, it, it, it is a little, uh, if you thought Inception was difficult to understand and it took you two or three times and maybe some groups before you realized even an inkling of what was happening, uh, this is infinitely worse. And also, there's so many scenes in the movie where people, and you know, resonating with today, they're wearing masks, and the sound mix is so off. Much of the dialogue is lost, and so that wow. makes it even more difficult. But wow. again, uh, John David Washington's going to have a huge career as an action star. This is every bit as sexy as a James Bond movie, and in many ways, it hits some of the same tropes and tones. Sounds to me like Nolan uh, was thinking back to uh, Bane and going like, yeah, more of that. How about we have more people like that? But the, the only thing with Bane, like at least, I mean, highly synthesized, rarely, like I don't even know uh, how processed it is. For all I know, they might have had like some old uh, trailer guy, the guy who said, yeah. in a world. That yeah, may be the voice thing. of Bane. I don't know if Tom <laughs> is truly the one behind Bane, but I understood every word. Yes, yeah, fire rises. I got that. With this, you hear <laughs> <laughs> if you remember one thing only, remember the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> what? I, you know, that, that said, if you go back to, like, what's known with Dunkirk, where the soundtrack was just burying some of the dialogue, I think yeah. that's kind of one of his things where he just doesn't think the dialogue is as important as the cinematic. And I'm a huge fan of his. But sometimes, like, again, Dunkirk, the soundtrack was burying all of the dialogue. Yeah, agreed. That's pretty common for a lot of the movies. I mean, most of the Batman movies, there were a number of things that were just buried underneath the soundtrack, not that critical to him. Or, or 
we're all getting too old to hear things. Stop it. <laughs> Stop it. Or it might be, you know how people who are key influencers, usually the, the CEO or the board of director, that person always talks the softest. Maybe Nolan's just so uh. cocky. That he said, I want to make audiences lean in to show them who's boss. Yeah. I really want I like them to it. pay attention, like so I'm going to mm-hmm. drop the audience. It would be like you to suck up to the filmmaker because you're afraid they're going to find this somehow. <laughs> Hold on, I'm doing the junket for that right now. I, gotta, I, gotta. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Nolan, I love everything you've done. Everything you did with the sound, do more. <laughs> <laughs> While we've got you, Mark, in case you have to go away, we should, Mitch, I was not kidding. Uh, at one point, Mark decided, I've been watching movies forever. I've been reviewing movies. I've been talking to filmmakers. And to a certain extent, literally inspired by Tyler Perry, who basically told you, go out and do it on your own, didn't he? I mean, didn't he basically tell you to just do your own thing? I uh, I would, was moments away from a pitch meeting. I had been a buddy of mine that used to be my segment producer, Joe Carnahan, went on to do the Gray and the AT movies, Smoking Aces, Narc, and, and and I was at a point in time where I was making a transition, and he gave me a job as an associate producer on Bad Boys Three, mm. and that lasted about a month before he had to step away from Bad Boys Three. <laughs> and so he said, "Call Howard." So I called another friend of ours that I was a producer. He brought me in on a movie called Notorious Nick based on an MMA fighter born with one arm. Beautiful story. And then again, that got put on pause because funding was dragging. And uh, right before they sort of disbanded, they said, does anybody have anything we could do for a fraction of this budget? And that's when I pitched this idea. And that same day, I was talking to Tyler Perry and I said, uh, having seen your movie last night at an exact time that I'm about to pitch a movie, it gave me some ideas of a single location shoot where we could do this movie, but flipped into a more traditional horror movie. And he said, do it. We did it. And that was Apparition, a movie that was made for a fraction of the budget with Kevin Pollack and Mina Savari a few years ago. Full disclaimer, Ooh. it's my baby. So even if it's a mutant, I'm still going to tell you it's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> well, wait a minute. What about Fear Farm? Which I Thank see you there. Segue. <laughs> okay. In the top 10 on 10 different video on demand servers right now, including Apple TV and Amazon Prime, Fear Farm. It's like Texas Chainsaw. Oh man! Right in the middle of his. Oh, uh, we lost you. We lost you there for a second, Mark. We your your nutshell pitch, your your elevator pitch got uh, garbled there. So Fear Farm is like American Pie meets Texas Chainsaw. <laughs> there we go. If any of that sounds <laughs> good to you. Check out Fear Farm. I, I, I actually it. I watched it last night. Um, what I watched. I watched parts of it last night because I'm a big wimp. Um, and uh, and there were some <laughs> there like. Like there were some good scares in there, um, so I, you know, I got up and like air kicked through about half of it, which is what I do during scary movies, which is why I only watch them at home. You air um, kick, again? Yeah, no, I like I air kick and air punch, like just in case it's behind me, I can I can be ready to go. Um, um, which would not have which would not have helped with some of those things, but there were some solid scares in Fear Farm. Uh, well done. Yeah, well, let me tell you, Mark... You're talking about the parts that are supposed to be scary. You're not talking about the acting. (laughs) No, no, no. I mean, mean, you know, obviously, I was like, well, I don't know why Mark didn't call me to be in it, but, like, that's my own issue. It's fine. fine. I'll take that up with my agents. It's fine. It it could have something to do with the air punching. Had I seen your look today, it would have been a one-man show. Fear for three, you're going to be in it. Just just to to give him some credit here, too, uh, Mark shot that on uh, like a nickel. 
basically. I mean, literally, (laughs) it was they found uh, couch cushion change that they were able to shoot that on. So uh, congratulations on that. Of the six movies I've done, it's the smallest budget, but it's my favorite. And I feel like it works better. And it gives me more appreciation for directors and producers and film teams uh, that are putting the money on the screen. Because it shows you some of these budgets, you realize how much of that money didn't go on the screen. Oh, God, yes. Yeah. Oh, yes. Where where was the farm at? Where's the actual corn maze at? Uh, no secrets given we away. We stitched together three farms, one in Fresno, one in Davis, and one up in Dixon, California, oh, about cool. 45 minutes outside of San Francisco. All right. That is more than a long enough plug for your goddamn horror movie, Mark. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> no, and then he's gone. Uh, well, thank you. Now, hang as long as you can, Mark, so you can weigh in on some of these other things. Uh, I, I also want to welcome just now uh, coming on, uh, who is literally just 20 feet away from my uh, broadcast closet, uh, one uh, Alexander Morgan, everybody, Schmorgle on the YouTubes and uh, the Spotify's Ooh, hey, radio. Uh, hello, <laughs> good God. Um, Larry, yeah. Larry, uh, now that Alexander has joined us, uh, can I circle back to something that Mark uh, touched on, which was m- a mention of the last movie he had seen, and, and it left me wondering what, for all of you, what was the last movie that you saw before the world turned upside down? Oh, oh man. Wow. Can anybody remember back that far? Because I would, uh, I really would have. You mean literally, like in a theater? In, in a theater, yes. yes. Wow. What was the last Marvel movie? <laughs> uh, I, I know the last one I saw because my friend Abraham Ben Ruby was in it. It was Call of the Wild. That is the oh, last God. I saw in a theater. I'm sorry. Oh, listen, I love Harrison to an extent that I will watch literally anything he's in and enjoy it on some level. So. Uh, does anybody else remember? So it would have been February, March. Anybody have any? I saw The Hunt, and I highly recommend it if you haven't seen it. It's brilliant, and again, a small budget, a movie that outlifts its budget. That that's the that's the one where the the new bride is indoctrinated into the family with a deadly game of cat and mouse. Wait, Are you think sure you're, you're not thinking of two movies? Oh, I'm yeah, thinking of that's that's Ready or Not. Okay, right. All right, never mind. Yeah, which is also great. The hunt is the hunt is uh, um, what's her name from uh, Glow, right? She yes, and she's brilliant. Hunted. And then Hillary Swank, yeah. and it's, uh, it's some social media influences, or maybe just some people dabbling on Facebook get rounded up because of comments they made and are hunted by some rich folk, mm-hmm. and the hilarity ensues. <laughs> <laughs> Anybody else remember yeah, the last I, movie they saw? I literally just opened up my uh, my file of of. Uh, Tax deductions because don't come in the handy. Yeah. Uh, I, found the, I found the ticket stubs for. Um, hang on, I'm getting a phone call. Never mind. Uh, the ticket stuff for Birds of Prey. So I think that was the last one. I saw. Oh, that's about right. Did Birds of Prey come out before Bad Boys for Life or after? Because Bad Boys for Life might have been my last one. Uh, that was definitely my last one. And that was for this podcast, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah. it was. Uh-huh. Yep, that was it. That was it for me, too. It was the last movie that Charlotte and I saw in the theater, which uh, was a shock that she wanted to go with me to Bad Boys for Life. And she enjoyed it. I, I seem to remember uh, enjoying it quite a bit with her. Anybody else? Uh, Trey, what? Oh, you already said, said Call of yeah, the Wild. I think we're I think we're waiting on Schmorgle at this point. I truly can't remember. I was going to make a joke that I saw Doolittle seven times, but I can't really. Think. <laughs> <laughs> I think Doolittle's the last movie I'll ever see. Yeah, no, I truly. I don't. If I didn't see anything with you, Dad, I don't. I don't think. I don't know if I even saw anything this year. 
which is shocking. Again, um, unless we went to see a Marvel movie, I don't know unless you went or you went to see some with buds. I don't know. I saw a bunch of live music before in the olden times, but I don't Uh, know if I saw any. uh... Remember those times? Yeah. (laughs) As long as we have you, Alex, because I know you have a live stream coming up uh, in in a little bit. And by the way, uh, Alex is using the pandemic to great effect to further his music career, much like Trey. Um, (laughs) Don't even know. He deserves much better than that. Did you drop your (laughs) mixtape? A couple of beats or what? He deserves much better better than that stop it uh yeah if you check out the schmorgel youtube channel or on spotify and there's a new single being released called hasty next friday or this yes. coming friday with a, a really spiffy looking video it seems so yeah it's gonna be the best looking thing thus far because i didn't make it uh, some <laughs> other real filmmakers did but, but i know that you have a live stream coming up in a little bit so in case we need to lose you at some point been doing recently and it is brilliant yeah Dude, really man, amazing for work. real Gosh, thanks everyone. This is uh, this just turned into a podcast of boosting my ego, which I I'm hated fine. it, Alex. Yeah, uh, Chris didn't like it. Chris, it's been a pleasure talking to you. See you later. <laughs> <laughs> um, Seriously, I highly recommend to any listening, anybody listening great. right now. Oh, the, dang, one Trey! Or two, one or two of you, the nature sample song <laughs> was the high point, a high point of my pandemic experience. Oh heck yeah! I'm actually, my dad helped me with that a lot. Uh, Larry Morgan, my father, is uh, is is responsible for filming a majority of that. So. Well done. Here's to him. Which, uh, yeah, I I had a camera and I pointed it at him. So that was my contribution to nothing that the song, uh, how special the song was. Uh, (laughs) But is is there a piece of pop culture? Is there there a movie in particular that you have watched, Alex, that you want to tout right now while we got you? So does it have to be a movie or can it be anything? No, if you got some, uh, is there some music that you've been listening to or is there? I got, a, I got a bunch of music I've been listening to, but I think the most interesting thing I could share that people may not be aware of is has anyone heard of Blaseball? No. No. I thought Chris might have heard of Blaseball. Blaseball is the weirdest, wildest thing, and I'm going to plague all of you with it. It is, uh, it is described on Wikipedia as an online browser baseball simulation horror game. Oh, so boy. essentially what this is, and, and the reason why I'm bringing it up is because it's been really popular during the pandemic, especially when baseball was, was it wasn't baseball. I don't know sports. Wasn't baseball stopped or something because of the, because of the, yeah. yes, yes. Yeah, baseball's the one with the bats, right? Yes, and the okay. and the balls. And the balls, got it. I know I know that much. And the bases. <laughs> That's uh, partly where the name comes from. Oh. Huh. Yeah. A lot of people don't know that. Put that together. Yeah. It's all clicking together. It's yeah. so clear now. <laughs> but baseball is perfect for my nerd brain because it it game it, it even more so gamifies baseball in like a text format. And it it's basically just playing out a season uh per week. And, and then there's an off season on Saturday and basically all these wild things happen through this online fake currency and through voting where you turn a normal baseball game into like either a zombie apocalypse or crazy <laughs> stuff happens. And the community sort of builds the, the mechanics together. It's like an open source game that's built by people voting and suggesting. And there's a weird political system. That's like a meta game of the whole thing. I think all y'all, especially if you like baseball and just want to scratch like that fantasy kind of itch, that fantasy football kind of, kind of vibe. It's a blast. And it's my only window into baseball, but, um, okay. So Alex, first of all, first of all, spell it and then tell us how we find it. (laughs) 
So that's uh, actually uh, a meme in itself online. Uh, people think it's Blazeball, but it's spelled B-L-A-S-E-B-A-L-L. It's like okay. baseball with an L. Or Blase Ball. It's Blase yeah, okay. Ball. <laughs> and then where, and it, then where do we find Do it? we have to go on the dark so, like, web that dark you kids love? <laughs> now, yes. That's where that's where you get your 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 cool party drugs. But for this, you're just going to search it on Google. Wait, wait a minute. What what are you talking about, young man? The stream starting. Got to go. I, I just dipped back in from the junket. Was somebody talking about cool party drugs? Yeah. <laughs> Mark, shut up. Shush, shush, shush. This is not the right time. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's weird. It's and I don't really want to say too much more. If if this even begins to pique your interest, I suggest you just dive into it and click some buttons and see what happens. It's it, it's so yeah. weird and fun. Okay. It looks like there's just blazeball.com there, Trey. It'll get you going right away. Okay. I don't yep. know if you saw that. All right, interesting. All right. I mean, well, you know, I guess I know what I'm doing with my afternoon. Skipping my class and doing that. It won't send all of your information to China, I promise. At least as far as I know. I was just going to say, are Russian bots involved at all? Exactly. I was just wondering if this is some sort of way to undermine the election, because there's got to be some sort of tangential relation. Yeah, I mean, at this point, I feel like everything does, but uh, I I think it's just some good old-fashioned innocent fun. Uh, (laughs) It's clearly meant to uh, distract uh, uh, people in in a way that keeps them from going out to vote on November 3rd. (laughs) We're just locked into our screens. Must blame. Baseball. Oh, no. Here's the thing, and I'll twist, I'll twist it on you because it's an incredibly democratic system. Like everyone votes on pretty much every aspect of this game and breaks the game of baseball through. Uh, you know, there's some trolling, I'm sure, but like honestly, I've seen a lot of order amidst the chaos within this game because people all agree on something. So, in fact, I think, nice. yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think it's a uh, positive cultural twist. Excellent on, on mm. democracy. Well, perhaps also, I'm in. I, I do want to circle back to this idea of interference in the election because I don't know if you guys have been paying attention, but nothing subtle is happening to influence the election this year. People are literally setting ballot boxes on fire and like making fake ones. And making fake ones. There's nothing subtle like, oh, no. let me drop some spin news stories on you to influence <laughs> no. your vote. It's no. just like, like we're going to show up at your house with baseball bats and a blowtorch. Vote now. Bats. Like, yeah, right? It's yeah, just, exactly. Just this. Yeah. That's what I say. In fact, there are blowtorches in baseball, I bet. So uh, there you go. You see, and that's the beautiful thing. You can make it so. <laughs> you can. Excellent. I'm faster. I'm a fan. If, if just light a fire under his ass. The, the breaks are way too long in baseball. <laughs> <laughs> well, whole season's in a week, so it's definitely That's for uh, OCD people. <laughs> hey, Mikey, why don't we move on to you? I know that you were going to uh, dip into Sorkin World with the the Trial of the Chicago 7. Is that what it's called on, yeah. on the Netflix there? And uh, we have a little bit of a mini Sasha Baron Cohen fest. Uh, first, the serious side. Uh, Aaron Sorkin's second directorial effort uh, uh, based on a historical event. And you and I both kind of back and forth a little bit on uh, the Sorkin thing. We are uh, similarly kind of love-hate. It seems like every other project with Sorkin for me is is one that I'm totally into. Um, And uh, the other one is just ridiculous grandiose trash that's well written but stupid um and and i I get a little wary of something like this which has potentially very you know speechifying high-minded moments so tell us what you thought of a trial of chicago seven 
Yeah, and I'll even take, before I get in there, I'll even take that one step further is that I, and I know this is sort of considered sacrilege, but I'm actually not a Sorkin fan by and large because um, I don't mind the politics and I don't mind um, that he has an opinion that he's trying to put out, fine, everybody has that. But it's sort of a backhanded compliment to say that his dialogue and stuff is so good that it it becomes speechifying. And I, and I feel like a lot of it is, Hey, this is important. This is what I have to say. Listen to me. And that's what, and I found that with uh, the, the newsroom on HBO and the, I've never, I've seen parts of the West wing and every, every time I saw one, it always seemed like, you know, these are the actors that are saying my thoughts and my politics through their words. And, and it just, it, it turns me off. Uh, that said, um, I genuinely liked the trial of the Chicago seven because um, while there was some grandioseness and there was uh, some speechifying um, and clearly the motivation there is to shine um, like a mirror on what's going on now through uh, what happened in 68 and Hey, this is important and wake everybody up and stuff like that. I found that because the source material is so good by itself, it didn't really need a lot of Sorkin to elevate it, to try and like make it better in his mind. And the acting is amazing. Sasha Baron Cohen steals every scene he's in. Oh, wow. Excellent. It is a pretty amazing cast. You've got Mark Rylance. You've got um, Michael Keaton is in there. Uh, on and on. I can't remember uh, all the other Mark names. Mark Rylance is brilliant. You've got um, Eddie, Rain, Ed, Eddie Redmayne, who's playing Tom Hayden, and uh, um, Sasha Baron Cohen as, as Abby Hoffman, and and Michael Keaton, and, and yeah, and Frank Langella, and to a man, they're all really, really good. And so I, I like this more than than I thought I was going to. That said, it definitely has that Sorkin, uh, you know, patina of like, hey, this is what I think and this is why you should think it I, like I think. But it was, it didn't feel as overt. I think one of the things I've been uh, a little concerned about with Sorkin now directing his own stuff as opposed to somebody like uh, David Fincher, which, you know, the social network, no matter what you think of it, I, I continue to feel like that's one of the best movies of the last 20 years. I, it was so much of a time and it, it was still very Sorkin-y, but I felt like Fincher managed to kind of rein some of that in and um, dial back some of that. As, as a director of his own words, I have a feeling that Sorkin is probably going to be very protective of that script that he wrote. And, um, and also, you know, he's still developing a style in terms of um, if there is one for him yet, as far as a visual style, but it, it, it's been getting high marks uh, all around. Certainly, a lot better than Molly's Game, his di- directorial uh, debut. Yeah, and it, it felt directorially different than Molly's Game. I mean, it was directed with a lot of energy and a lot of of uh, there were some quick cuts, and some of the riot scenes were actually very, very well shot. Um, and back and forth, the shifting in the timeline between the testimony versus what happened. Um, it's got good energy. I, I, I can't say I didn't like it. I liked it, and I liked it more than I thought I would like it. And if you were a Sorkin fan, I can't see you doing anything but loving it. Okay. Yeah, if I could double down on uh, Sasha's performance as Abby Hoffman, some on-the-day stories, um, he was terrified. Aaron Sorkin had said that Sasha was terrified not only to do the uh, the accent, but also to play the role. He didn't want to be the, the weak link in that movie. Uh, so terrified that he would listen to Abby Hoffman's speeches 
every day on the set up until the absolute moment they called him into the scene. Yeah. And it shows. Excellent. Well, uh, that's actually a good point to seg right into my choice uh, on this, which I know that many others or several others, many, there's six of us, but several others of us on this call have probably seen it since it came out as of this recording just yesterday. And by the way, you can't miss it. If you have an Amazon Prime account, they have reconfigured the homepage of Amazon Prime Video with nothing but options to click on Borat, the new movie. Uh, pretty inventively, I have to uh, add. But uh, it's getting a lot of attention, uh, which w- I was expecting, but not necessarily in the way it came about this past week because of the clip of Rudy Giuliani, which has been uh, proliferating in the news and has been highly and hotly debated about what his ulterior motives were. We can get to that in a minute. That comes in the latter part of the film. But I can tell you uh, right up front, when I saw, this is kind of a prime example of the before times and now. I mean, here is Borat 2, originally the first film released in 2007, I want to say. Um, God, what a different time. And it, it was released at a time when he uh, we were in the Bush administration at that point. And um, it was targeted at some of the attitudes of how uh, the American persona was portrayed and, you know, some of the uh, divisive issues that were just beginning to take hold in the country. I mean, that was one of the big motivating factors for him doing that movie. So what a remarkable time to come back with this uh, with this sequel. I have to say, from my standpoint, uh, he still got it. And uh, my experience in watching Borat was very different because I saw the first movie in a preview kind of combination press and preview screening with a full packed audience in Hollywood. And I was not that familiar with the character because I hadn't really dug into the Ali G show that much. I know that Alex had been watching it, um, but I had the clips I had seen, I thought were funny, but I am not a fan of like prank stuff and ambush, you know, humor. It, it makes me highly uncomfortable. So I wasn't quite sure how I was going to handle the first movie. I can honestly say there have been two times in my life where I have been gasping for breath at laughing so hard collectively with an audience. One time was the first time I saw Richard Pryor's first concert movie when I was a kid at a midnight showing, and the second time was this. I mean, missed. I had to watch it when it came out on video just because I had missed so much of the first movie. But the pure hilarity, I was comparing him to frickin' Chaplin and Keaton at the time. I thought... It was one of the most brilliant comic performances I had ever seen and that there was no way he could pull that off again. So this movie, I think, does everything you can with that character who is now so familiar and that freshness and that surprise is not there and uh, surprisingly weaves in an element of of heart and and uh, feeling. And, and to me, as much as the attention about this movie has been toward the Giuliani clip and the Trump administration, it feels much more about kind of a result of the Me Too movement, frankly, because so much of it is about women's rights. And uh, depending on how what your stomach has for certain kinds of humor, clearly the the jokes about how women are treated in other countries uh, are a prominent part of this. 
And it, the storyline's barely worth talking about. Essentially, uh, Borat is supposed to take a gift from Kazakhstan, where he is now vilified because of the first movie that has, has done dishonor upon his home country. He is actually uh, jeered as he leaves on this new mission from his government. In fact, there is a line I wrote down early on in the movie, where as he's being driven out of town to go on this new mission, Someone, it's translated from the, uh, you know, Kazakhstani language. Um, get lost. May your shits have antlers, which right away I thought was one of my favorite lines in the movie. Um, they, I, I feel like they pull this off in the best way possible. I laughed out loud. I cringed. It was very different watching this by myself in a room where I watched it like, McGann air kicking I had to get up and walk around and avert my eyes because I was so uncomfortable with some of these scenes but it's shocking to me how much heart there is in it even in a segment where he apparently had to live in character for five days with these two uh, conspiracy theory guys (laughs) and as much as those guys are tragically represented as a fact as a faction of americans that we know exist who believe in some of the most ridiculous conspiracies that are out there and believe it in their heart there's also this element of you know he finds a little humanity in those guys in in the next segment so it's not just trashing these people it's letting them kind of hoist letting them hoist themselves on their own petard while also recognizing these are people that have their own lives. It, 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 it doesn't make them better. It doesn't make them good. But it shows that there's a glimmer of, of humanity in these people who believe these ridiculous things. Uh, I've, I found it delightful if it didn't match the first one from just the sheer impact of what I experienced in that first viewing. I found many things to LOL about in that one. Who else can weigh in that's that's seen it? I I enjoy. I, I, I couldn't I couldn't agree more. You're right. I mean, it's the first thing I thought of when Chris was talking about air punching and air kicking over <laughs> horror. Like never before have I so violently air punched and air kicked and screamed at the top of my lungs uh, over a movie like the second Borat film. But but. I kept getting consistently surprised by these levels of hope, this undercurrent of hope that kept rising. And mostly, I think, yes, partially through the scripted storytelling, but mostly through the fact that not, I mean, essentially all of the people that are, are, are being used as stooges in the process of his performance art, you know, I guess initially they have no idea what's going on, but a number of those people rose to an occasion of humanity and were non-judgmental or were helpful or were just openly kind and loving in ways that put a knot in my throat that I did not expect to see coming. Yeah. It it feels like the fine line that Sasha Baron Cohen manages to walk here is that he knows the targets may be a little easy, but he doesn't take the easy route there. And he gives them a one segment in particular is, um, a section where his his daughter, or as he calls her, his non-male son, um, is speaking in front of a group of Republican women, I think in Texas, just after she has discovered that touching her vagina will not uh, cause her hand to be bitten off and her body to be sucked into it. 
Uh, uh, it's a long story. <laughs> and no, that's it. I mean, that's honestly, yeah, that's the whole story. That's yeah, that's it. <laughs> um, and these women um, are shocked, of course, by what she's talking about. And there is some decorum, you know, that they uh, try and get across to her that this is not the appropriate thing to talk about. But they are still like welcoming and excited that she's empowered herself. And it's like there's this balance in there of, of people being okay with seeing someone who's discovering something about themselves. It's, I, I, I think that's Larry, what you're can saying. Can I jump in about that specific scene? Uh, because you and I spent our formative years, the first decade and a half of our lives, in a region probably not far from where that scene was shot. Did you find it especially cringy? Only because I looked in that audience and I knew those women. That was my yeah. mom, my grandma. Oh, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I mean, cringy from the standpoint of of knowing what the content was going to be about, but then also, <laughs> you know, kind of seeing that that you know, look, I I grew up with you know family members who were you know staunch Republicans and you know pro a lot of things that I was not pro. Uh, they also were, you know, loving, nurturing people at the same time. Those things can coexist as much as we have to. I, I also, I want to give a shout out to this actress uh, who uh, yes. it turns out is a Bulgarian actress that has never done an English language project before. Uh, obviously picked because, and they even address this, Borat, such a recognizable figure that he spends most of the movie disguised as a Borat in disguise. Mm-hmm. It is Maria Bakalova. And she's magnificent, clearly having to improvise most of what she does, sometimes all by herself, and is 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 just a revelation that they found her with with a level of commitment that I've only ever seen in him previously. Right. She just goes so deep. Uh, the, the, the debutante ball, I, 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 without spoiling anything, I, 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 I've never screamed that loud while watching any film. And she was just so gloriously committed to that bit. Unbelievable. And if we could talk about the, the Giuliani moment right there, because everybody in this room right now is to a certain extent a filmmaker or in the industry. And so we all recognize and let's try to play this for a moment straight down the middle. We all recognize that that had to be manipulated in some entrapment, obviously, and then also manipulated in edit to a certain extent. However, there was some inappropriate stuff that there's no way they oh could have God. manipulated. How elated do you think when they got that in the can? You know, cut out anything. We've all seen the clip and 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 what is said about it at the end. Even if you just chop that part off, so to speak. Um, everything about it leading up to that is highly uncomfortable and inappropriate and, and plain wrong. Um, so yeah, it, it, you can watch it and judge for yourself. I do want to also mention that I believe that the last, I really loved the last five minutes. It, 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 it might be considered by some to be maybe too easy of a gag, but the last five minutes paid off in such a weirdly timely way, as well as including one of the greatest celebrity cameos ever put on film. Fantastic. I just got a a note from Alex. He had to drop off. He's about to start his live stream, but he says, got to run, but I'll leave you with this. My wife. Remember my wife. Bye. And that was, that was what he said. So thank you. Thank you, Alexander. Hey, Trey, why don't you tell us about uh, what you wanted to talk about, which is? Uh, uh, well, okay, so I may be a little bit weird. Well, we all know that. I'm a little bit weird. But in my, in my uh, viewing habits, in my, I should say in my pandemic viewing habits, I have found 
that when the world suddenly seemed particularly ugly and scary around all of us, uh, I sort of gravitate away from scripted stuff, which is obviously where I make my living. But I, 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 I found that documentaries made me feel better. So I watched a lot of documentaries, many of which were amazing. My, my octopus teacher and class action park and, uh, uh, the amazing Jonathan documentary, uh, what's, uh, uh, camp, uh, the social dilemma, of course, uh, I've watched a lot of documentaries, mostly documentaries, but the one scripted thing that I saw or that I have seen so far during the pandemic that really hit me that I absolutely loved and didn't see coming was Enola Holmes, uh, which is uh, a Netflix was released on Netflix rather. Um, <laughs> oh, Bobby- you're getting the stank face from McGann. Oh that's no, fine. that's fine. I'll take it. Uh, and and again, maybe I was in a soft, particularly was- tender spot. Um, I just found it to what? be no what. Yeah, yes, yeah, I'll take it. Um, see, I'm not the curmudgeon, Larry, that you that you make me out to be. No, I think I, I think McGann is trying to wrestle that title away from you from the last couple of episodes. Uh, okay, that's fine. I just felt like, look, this is a. I, I I didn't know what I was sitting down to watch. I found it to be this wonderful period adventure with sort of a contemporary point of view, kind of a timeless uh, uh, female empowerment story that definitely, you know, uh, I, I made my daughter watch, but I think every boy, man, non-gender binary lover of, of kind of heartfelt fun and action and mystery would enjoy. It's, it's, you know, they're sort of jamming themselves in. It's based on a, a series of, uh, of books that were written by Nancy Springer. Jack Thorne wrote this, who wrote a, a movie that I enjoyed from last year called uh, The Aeronauts. Um, uh, Harry Bradbeer directed it. He's an Emmy-winning, mostly TV director, but you know, Fleabag and, and Killing Eve, a bunch of amazing credits. Um, I just found it to be thoroughly enjoyable. Millie is kind of radiant in it. She seems like she's having an absolute blast. Uh, Henry Bradbeer sort of leans into some of that Fleabag energy by having Enola. She plays the the younger sister of Sherlock Holmes, having Enola frequently break the fourth wall and and tell us what's on her mind or what's on her heart is is engaging and funny in all kinds of ways. Um, Helena Bonham Carter plays her mother, who, uh, for a series of mysterious circumstances, disappears. Uh, and and young Enola, who's had sort of a sheltered life and existence with her mom, wants to go out and, and try and find her, but she is hampered in her efforts by her two older brothers, namely the beloved Sherlock Holmes, who's played by uh, Henry Cavill, and uh, and then his older brother, Mycroft, who is, is Sam Claflin in the movie, and she completely ignores both of their requests and wishes and escapes to hunt for her mother and then proceeds to get involved in a completely secondary mystery, um, which, which winds up having sort of, you know, big implications in terms of uh, setting back the course of history. It's, it's just, I think the production design is beautiful. The score, uh, by Daniel Pemberton, who did Steve Jobs and Birds of Prey and, and Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, is, is an incredibly dynamic score. Uh, it's got this sort of beautiful sort of merchant ivory with a steampunk spin uh, look to it. Cinematography It's gloriously shot all over the UK by 
uh, Giles Nutchins, who who did Hell or High Water and The Deep End. It's I I just didn't see it coming. It was a satisfying mystery that even kept me guessing for a little while, and and I loved it from beginning to end, unabashedly and unapologetically. Delightful. Absolutely. We are not going to let Chris McGann respond and be uh, the killer of joy. Uh, this is about a positivity po- right. a podcast today. So all your little stank words. face can just go F off for a while. All of the all of the words that Trey said were my expectations for the movie. It's the positive way that I will say it. <laughs> Well, all right. Well, let's listen to what sort of high-minded piece of art Chris McGann is here to talk about today. Let's do. Uh, well, wait. I do want to make my one Enola Holmes joke though before we go into it. Right. It's not even a bad joke. I always just thought it was a weird Home Alone sequel because uh-huh, she makes a uh-huh. point about how Enola is alone backwards. And it's Enola Holmes, so it's Home Alone but backwards. Um, Good stuff. <clears throat> hey. Uh, um, Tough room, huh? Time in my life before that joke. (laughs) (laughs) So, so let me let me do a new setup uh, so I can cut that part out later. Um, So, what what piece of high minded art are you here to talk about, McCann? Actually, I'm actually here to talk about uh, I me that represents uh, the the point of hope that 2020 needed. It is a movie that was designed and written and produced to bring the world together, to remind us of happier times, uh, and to point us all to the fact that only through working together will we achieve hope and glory and unification as we move forward, which is, of course, obviously, Bill and Ted face the music. (laughs) (laughs) Of course. Of course. Those are the Uh, heroes that we've been waiting for. I was, just like Trey with Enola Holmes, like, I was delighted by this movie in a way that I didn't expect to be. Like, I've been looking forward to it since they announced it, but I was like, expectations are here. I'm going to be very disappointed but it was so fucking great it was so heartwarming and joyful and and like like there's there's something really great about the way these two like permanent adolescents embrace fatherhood and growing older and um uh, feeling like they're not living up to the the potential that the world has laid out for them uh and and seeing their dreams like fail and come to fruition at the same time that just, just, I, I can't say enough good things about it. And I have to actually look her up because the girl who played Ted's daughter does the best young Keanu Reeves impression the world has ever seen. <laughs> um, um, well, you look that up. I mean, I, I I was never really into the Bill and Ted franchise. The the first two mov- movies just kind of washed over me, and I, I you know they weren't for me at the time they came out. Uh, but I I do have this sense of just goofy fun that seems very appealing to me as far as that goes. I would I would guess I would hope McGann that you went back and watched one and two so that you didn't miss any of the subtle nuances for the continuing growth of this. (laughs) No, I'm serious. But there is in fact subtle nuances and subtle nods, right? Bill and Ted, uh, excellent adventure. Great, great movie. Bill and Ted bogus journey, just like a weird piece of trash that came out of nowhere. Um, so many like good ideas that they executed so poorly and so many poor ideas that they're just like, 
let's just do it anyway. Like I was, I, I just, I don't know. I don't even know who greenlit bogus journey, but face the music takes the, even the terrible pieces of bogus journey and somehow like weaves them into their best potential. <laughs> um, it's it's there is, and there are some subtle nods to things. Um, uh, Bridget Lundy Payne is the, is the actress I'm thinking of. She plays Ted's daughter. Uh, she hasn't done tons of stuff. Action point. I mean, she really, really hasn't done much at all, but she is delightful. Excellent. Well, good. Well, um, look, this is fun because uh, it's, it's been a delight to be able to kind of bring together some of the things that have actually made us happy to be watching fun movies again i mean uh, even just you know entertaining interesting informative as as trey mentioned you know uh, blazing through a bunch of documentaries i i i want to actually go around the horn we've lost uh alex who is going to have to start his live stream and i think uh mark allen had to go off and do his uh, junket uh, interview with Octavia Spencer. Excuse us. Uh, he might pop back on. But I want to just real quick, just a lightning round here and go around. And in addition to some of the movies that we've been talking about, I want to talk about some of the other things that maybe we've binged or discovered, you know, uh, especially since there has been a dearth of new releases as far as uh, our favorite series, new seasons of series, the things we would normally be watching. We have exhausted those. I will list off a couple of things that um, I really enjoyed, including uh, The Expanse on sci-fi which took a while to get going but uh, now has moved to Amazon, uh, which uh, they definitely kind of upped the production value of that. But uh, for a sci-fi story, which looked at first like a CW, beautiful young people in outer space um, melodrama turned into something way more interesting and challenging and found that incredibly compelling. Um, also, uh, what we do in the shadows, I, I blaze through very, very quickly and find that to be a delightful adaptation of a very funny movie and love that show so much. Um, a couple of things that, uh, I, I just literally was, it was just going to be background viewing. Uh, I'm not big on kind of episodic police procedurals, but when I, you know, it's one of those titles where you know it exists because if you open up your Amazon Prime video account, you see Bosch season whatever. And it's like, that's a thing that's been around forever. It's like the way I used to respond to, you know, uh, according to Jim. It's like, that's still on the air? But but I, uh, starring your buddy Titus Welliver, uh, Trey, uh, I watched and binged every frickin' season of Bosch and was bowled over about how not standard it was. I thought it was just going to be kind of a typical private. It's based on the Michael Connelly best-selling novels uh, about uh, Detective Harry Bosch. Um, it was stylishly done, beautifully shot, incredibly well acted, uh, very compelling storylines. I've actually been reading a couple of Michael Connelly books, and the series is better <laughs> than those books are. And, uh, and it's tough, especially in this time, to be talking about something that's focused on law enforcement when we have so many issues with how law enforcement is dealing with people. They actually broach those topics in the series as well as don't they don't portray these cops, even the title character that that he plays, Bosch, is not pristine and not a noble character by any means. There is complexity to what motivates him, what justice means to him versus what the system says. Um 
very compelling, and I'm surprised I have not heard more people talk about this. And then after I say that, I see an interview with uh, Melissa McCarthy who says, I sit outside on my balcony and binge Bosch all day. So there are people watching it. And the other one is a series that I didn't even know existed until it popped up on my Amazon Prime. Only two seasons exist, uh, but it's an incredibly good premise. If I were to tell you that there was a series, a sci-fi premise, in which because of a scientific accident, that there was a completely duplicate world like our own that was accessible through a corridor that was identical except for when the accident happened and then their timelines started to depart so that you knew that there were duplicate versions of you in this other place that was being kept secret and that it starred not just one J.K. Simmons, but two J.K. Simmonses. Wouldn't you be interested? Of course you fucking would. And that's called Counterpart, which was on Stars and got canceled when they decided they were going to be more female-driven content. And it's excellent. The best show I had never heard of that was so compelling from Go. So check that out. Uh, How about you, Mikey? What you been binging? What you liking? Okay. So I've been binging back and forth a little bit. I'll run down some of the ones that uh, I've I've liked and then go into my uh, absolute love. Everybody needs to watch the show. Uh, Went through Red Oaks on Amazon Prime, which was fun. Went through Pen15 on Hulu, which I didn't dig on, but I know a lot of people did. Um, Went through Never Have I Ever on Netflix, largely because it was shot at my daughter's high school. (laughs) We didn't like it as much as we did, and we did. It's lovely. Went through The Circle on Netflix, which is a, a reality show that is very big brothery, um, but not at the same time. And it's really, really compelling. It, you, you start out not wanting to like this show because it's, it's like junk reality TV, but it's surprisingly interesting and, and exceptionally well done. So that's worth a deep dive. Um, Shooby for life. Shooby for life. Shooby for life, exactly. Oh, God. Uh, Of of course, there's The Boys, which is just as perfect as any show has ever been. Is that that good, guys? Because I I haven't haven't dipped. It's incredible. Oh, okay. Wow. Okay. And I started reading the comic book, The the Trades, and I didn't love them as much as I loved the the show. All right. I'm going in. But for me, the show that is uh, my my platinum uh, ring, gold ring uh, for pandemic viewing is a show that came out of Canada. It's on Hulu. It's called Letter Kenny. Oh, yeah. It is without question the funniest show I have ever seen. From episode one, every single character is fully realized. Is 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 There's no development character-wise like oh maybe they'll go this way or maybe they'll do that no they know who their characters are and they are consistent through it and the dialogue is brilliant it's completely unbelievable this small town in in ontario canada would have this amazing cast of characters and it is just rapid fire like machine gun dialogue back and forth back and forth back and forth that is so so smartly done and so fast and references episodes three, four, five back, or even a season back that you just have to pay attention. It is it is hysterical. It's the funniest show I've ever seen. 
I know people who love that show, and then I know people who love hockey who think that's the greatest show that's ever been created. So there are different levels of it, but Letterkenny is on Hulu. And it started as a web series, I think, that uh, got developed into a a full-fledged Canadian series. Hey, Trey, how about you? Uh, Well, again, I binged a lot of documentaries. So the the David Attenborough, Life on Our Planet, depressing but extraordinary. Um, uh, I watched all the episodes of Taste the Nation with Padma Lakshmi, which I thought was really wonderful um, in her efforts to to sort of plug into what is uh, a definition of an Ameri- of American cuisine. Uh, surprise, it has nothing to do with uh, the pilgrims um, and everything <laughs> to do with the beauty of our immigrant experience. Mm-hmm. Um, the Last Dance... Uh, was uh, also fantastic. That sort of chronicle of Michael Jordan and the Bulls got for the sixth championship in 1997. Really amazing. Uh, And because uh, Mr. Ambers already spoke about the boys, which, you know, uh, Eric Kripke, who's a friend of mine who I've worked for, like, I think this is the greatest thing he's ever done. Um, But since we've already been there, uh, the, the one scripted, I mean, I've binged a lot, but the one that really surprised me and stuck with me was Dave, um, which, you know, is is sort of centered on this neurotic neurotic guy in his 20s, uh, white guy in his 20s who who believes he he's convinced he's one of the best rappers of all time. <laughs> and and it's really surprisingly emotional, powerful, incredibly funny, lots of amazing cameos from legitimate uh, uh, rappers, um, and, and and the music winds up being just a really delightful, infectious part of it. Smart, super funny. Highly recommend. Wow, I that that does not ring a bell with me. Where is Dave available, Trey? Uh, Dave is uh, an FXX uh, series. Excellent. And, uh, should be on Hulu then. All right. Be, yeah. Yeah. There's a, a billboard not too far from your office, Larry, uh, of of him coming out of like boxer shorts. Yes, like Dave the character. All right, so that's that's Dave the show. So you've <laughs> at least seen it. All right, so I have seen the ad. I had no idea what it was. All right, thank you, McGann. What you've been uh, what you've been chewing on? I mean, look, like like Mikey said, the circle like was just fucking delightful. Uh, I I I wanted. Ugh, I, Whatever, go watch it. Just go watch it. Um, it has no right to be as good as it is. It, it really doesn't. Like, like it's the stupidest concept, and that doesn't mean I didn't apply to be on season two. But like, it's the <laughs> stupidest concept. But like, it's just so engrossing and like, ugh, ugh, just go watch it. Um, I I will third the boys. Um, it, it came, coming back with season two. I I wasn't. I was prepared to be let down, but I thought it took the first season and ran with it. So um, I've also uh, just about finished uh, Hellstrom on Hulu, which I've uh, been enjoying. It's the Marvel, oh, uh, yeah. uh, Marvel comic book, uh, Damien Hellstrom. And uh, they, they've done a pretty good job with it. Don't enjoy um, it too much because apparently they've already canceled it and it won't be back, but they just kind of I mean, yeah wanted to shoot this yeah. one season out there. Space force on Netflix, uh, which I was also prepared to think was stupid and like, wasn't hadn't been around long enough for it to have good jokes but like it was it was good steve carell did a good job um in the netflix reality uh vein i would like to throw out the floor is lava 
Floor is lava. I watched all episodes. <laughs> Again, right? Like, it, no. delightful. Has no reason to be good, but like, there's something just like, yeah. Uh, by the way, do you know um, where they eight. do you know where they shot Flora's lava? By no, the way? I was I've been wondering about that. The old IKEA in Burbank, really, right. where they shot <laughs> Flora's lava. That makes sense. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Um, and then um, this last. So my last shout out that I want to give is the uh, the first chapter of uh, Transformers: War for Cybertron uh on uh, on netflix it's the cgi series um they are it's they're doing it in three chapters uh it was it's siege earth earth rise and then beast wars um and they're kind of they're kind of throwing it back to classic cgi transformers because i think uh beast wars transformers was the greatest transformers that they've done animated series wise hot take um, mcgann I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't fucking know. Um, so it's it's, uh, it's it's well written and and has has been fun. Um, I don't the CGI it doesn't hold up like super well in Beast Wars because it was it was in the like late nineties early two thousands when studios were trying to figure out CGI shows. Um, so there's a lot of like that's not how feet move. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, of a good trick. Speaking of the early two um, thousands, I, yeah. I think you have a, a dial up connection from the early two thousands, McGann, because you're been, you've been freezing up like a maniac here. Yeah, have have fun editing this show. Larry. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't. Yeah, right. I'll uh, I'll uh, I'll ADR it for you. Uh, <laughs> Could you? Because yeah, otherwise, I have, I have Spectrum that I pay a ton of money for, but yeah. You might want to uh, uh, formalize a complaint, uh, but yeah. So if for some reason you hear about 50% of what you've said today not in the podcast, please don't take it personally. It has nothing to do with that. Uh, because Mark Never Allen had, had to uh, – hey, because Mark Allen had to pop off early, I, that's a weird thing to say, but um, he was off doing his junket. But I can vouch for two things that I know Mark was uh, absolutely touting big time because he – forced me to go look into them. Uh, one of them I have not watched yet, but I have seen many other people talk about Cobra Kai, which is now available on Netflix after being a, a YouTube series, that it is r- really, talk about better than it, it, it should have been, that it is a great, nostalgic, yet also standing on its own series, uh, bringing back the original uh, cast members. And it's supposed to be, just absolutely terrific. So I can't agree with him more. And uh, just as an aside, as a guy who grew up in the eighties in the Valley, who was literally born and raised in Reseda, there's always this like special affinity for the karate kid. And those scenes when they're driving up and down the street, they're literally passing my house about every third word. (laughs) And Billy Zabka is killing it acting. Like he is carrying the, He'd never, I guess, never really been given any meat to chew on as an actor. He, he's amazing. He carries the whole thing. Wow. Just for that alone, uh, good for him. And, and uh, you know, Ralph Macchio, it's good that he's back. Why not? All grown up. Uh, and the other title that uh, Mark said to me that I had to watch, which I was sure that he was, you know, sometimes when Mark Allen, I can talk about him because he's not here. Sometimes his recommendations are a little iffy. I mean, he is the man that said uh, Austin Powers, um, the spy who shagged me, maybe the greatest sequel ever. Um, and I'm like, uh, 
Empire Strikes Back, maybe? Godfather 2, maybe? But anyway, uh, but he said the words out loud to me. What's that? Gremlins 2. Gremlins, oh God. Let's not get into that. Um, He said the words to me, teenage bounty hunters. And I'm like... Yes. Oh no! Is that gonna be a like lame ass reality show? It is not. It is a comedy drama, more comedy than drama, with with this young cast and Kadeem Hardison, who I don't think I've seen since A Different World. <laughs> this uh, these two young girls who uh, stumble into becoming bounty hunters. It is irreverent. It is profane it is delightful these performers are ridiculous it is a high concept it is pulled off there is an amazing turn in it within the the storytelling of the series which i don't know if it necessarily pays off as well as i wanted it to but man it is bingeable and funny and awesome and weirdly sexy and progressive uh kathleen jordan created it Jinji Cohen is one of the executive producers. I had never heard of it until he mentioned it, and I am so glad I actually listened to him this time about Teenage Bounty Hunters. And I'm glad to hear you co-sign on that, McGann, because uh, I thought you guys were going to look at me like I was nuts when I brought that one up. Um, this has been just a, 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 this has been a breath of fresh air, even though I'm in my stale closet talking to you guys right now. Um, just delightful being able to connect with you and see your faces and hear your voices again and talk about nerdy shit, um, which um, we we need to try and do more often and hopefully, hopefully get to do in person again at some point with we much. All just do it. We all do it in your closet with you. you yeah, well, uh, I think maybe three of us could get away with it. Um, without, you know, spreading the germs, spreading, spreading the plague, but, uh, we will try this again. Uh, we'll see if Hollywood cooperates. We certainly seem to have plenty to talk about because there's a lot of content out there that we're starting to dig into and discover. Uh, but more than anything, it's just, uh, really, Oh, I I did want to mention one of our regular cohorts, uh, not here today. Jason E. Kelly, uh, sends his regrets. He is an extremely busy person right now, which I'm very happy. And not to mention that he and his lovely wife are expecting in January. So there will be an official pandemic snark baby in 2021. (laughs) I wouldn't wish that on any child, least of all his. But probably not what uh, the lovely couple would consider it. But that's what I'm calling it. I don't care what's name, what what name they give it. And I guess they had a gender reveal, and it's going to be a little boy. So, or, you know, whatever it chooses to be. Sorry, I'm trying to be, correct. trying to be uh, correct here. Hey, guys, love you so much. Mikey Ambers, good luck with this new secret, covert, undercover operation that you're not allowed to talk about. We hope that you're not in witness relocation anytime soon because we'll miss you. I thank you. I, I would, if I have to go bore at uh, myself in order to be a part of Snark Monkey in the future, I'm happy to do it. Excellent. Uh, have your people send me the uh, appropriate contact information. Uh, Chris McGann, good luck with everything. You doing good? Anything you want to talk about that we can expect from you soon besides, uh, you know, more proliferation of hair? Um, I hope you can hear me. Um, I have a horror movie that is releasing on Amazon soon-ish uh, called No Way Out. 
Um, it's not a remake of the Kevin Klein movie. Oh, it's different. It's a different or, thing. or Kevin Costner we movie? An, we shot in Alaska last year. Or Kevin Costner, yeah, that's right. Uh, it's the thing we shot in Alaska last year, so it's finally releasing. Excellent. Uh, are you scarier in it in the movie, or are you scarier now, would you say? I... Uh, I was scarier behind the scenes because it turns out I'm kind of a diva. Who would have seen that? Coming? <laughs> wow. All of us. All of us. Air kicking and air punching. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to it's be not, the review. It's not that scary. They'll use a Mark S. Allen tagline. I was k- air kicking and air punching the whole time. Uh, and Trey Calloway, is there any chance in the world that your life has been able to open up to saying that there's a project due anytime soon? Well, uh, uh, apparently, Mr. Ambers and I are, are working for the same company. I just turned in a, a new pilot, my 22nd pilot, uh, to the studio, which I am not allowed to talk about. Uh, maybe this is the new, uh, the new Hollywood. Everything is one big NDA. But yeah, uh, very excited to have just finished that, working on the series Bible for it now. When I am able to fully discuss it, I most certainly will here on Snark Monkey. Excellent. All right. Well, uh, hopefully uh, we get back together sooner than later. This m- just motivates me to continue to have these conversations um, and uh, talk about stuff we love, uh, looking for some positivity. And maybe we get together post-election. Ugh. Ugh, maybe. Ugh. Anyway. Gentlemen, thank you so much for uh, chatting with me today. Uh, and uh, I speak on behalf of Mark S. Allen and my son, Alexander Morgan, who is too big for the room. Uh, thank you for being there. Uh, get a monkey and uh, enjoy your life. I love you guys. Take care, everybody. Love you, Larry. Bye-bye, Larry. Bye, Larry. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com.